We've defined love in our culture primarily only, only as sex. Yes. That's the issue. Mm-hmm. So if, if love by its very nature, you define love as your attraction or sex, yep. then what the reason I think sometimes Christians fall into the mindset of like, we know what it says, but we feel a little bashful mm-hmm. is we kind of almost, I think some Christians would feel like, and know what it says, but I feel bad for those people yes. that can't experience right. love. We need to come back and redefine what love mm-hmm. is. If we get identity wrong, um, or if we just feel like we're just sort of completely wet cement in terms of uh, image bearers of God as male or female or something entirely different, I mean, that, that just throws kids into a ton of chaos when they're already trying to figure out who in the world they are. Every parent has to ask the question, um, am I going to be the one that drives and owns the discipleship conversation mm-hmm. on sexuality or am I going to leave it to chance and let my kids get it from culture right so those are your two options yeah right? and so many parents don't have an intentional discipleship not only a single conversation but continuing conversations on this topic right they don't have it because it's just uncomfortable mm-hmm. and they feel ill-equipped mm-hmm. and my encouragement to parents is you don't have to you don't have to feel Ill- ill-equipped it doesn't actually have to be as complex as most parents yeah. make it out to be seeing with sexual immorality, the influx of pornography, just how that's affecting people. It's at levels that we've never seen before. Right. You know, it's it's <clears throat> the tentacles of, of pornography and just sexual immorality in general. They just go deeper and deeper, right? They don't stay at a level. They, they always go deeper. So what we're seeing is I think in culture, we're seeing that level of of sexual brokenness and, and deepness of the issue. It's just, it's affecting everyone, mm-hmm. every person, right? There's not a person that's not affected by it. Yeah, right, right. And one of the things that that we've felt is that um, often the church has historically, and sometimes still now, um, addresses um, the, the desire of people who are Christ followers to break free of, whether it's pornography or sexual sin or whatever, um, uh, that it's it's kind of done more from a um, a behavior management perspective, mm-hmm. which is part of it. I mean, you can't just ignore that. Sure, uh, that is a part of it. But but we really feel like okay, one of the reasons we're so compelled to go back to do something we hate, and yet our flesh craves, is really because it's meeting a need. That's right. So it's um, it's insufficient to just have a just don't do it message or just stop it or the totally. Bible says it's sin. Yeah. Yes. I mean, let's let's share that. That's true. But how can we actually help people get under the surface into what are the real issues and the needs that are driving them yeah. to sexual immorality or pornography? Yep. I think that gets to the heart of the issue. You know, I mean, we're, 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 we know that all of us are sinful by nature. Mm-hmm. So just standing up and calling something what it is, this is a sin, like stop it, you know, slap the hand. I mean, most people, mo- I'm going to say most people if they're a follower of Jesus, they feel that already. They they know intuitively mm-hmm. they shouldn't be doing this. Of course, there's a segment that are just that think it's totally fine right. and it's a natural thing. And there's for sure that going on as mm-hmm. well. But I would say the vast majority of people that I know of that are they're followers of Jesus, mm-hmm. they feel this tension that they're doing something that they don't really want to 
want to want to do. And so to stand up and just say, stop doing it in some ways is not all that helpful. We want to give tools and resources yeah. to be able to break the addictive cycle because mm-hmm. it is an addiction. But I think really going back to the heart issues mm-hmm. of what is motivating me, mm-hmm. like what need is this meeting? And, and really talking about those, that kind of gets to the heart or the heart of the issue. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times you're, you're, you're looking at pornography, right? If it's a guy or a girl. Mm-hmm. And of course there's this draw to it. But what truly is that heart draw? Mm-hmm. What, what am I meeting in my right. In my life, yep. and for you know, for a lot of guys, I mean, you start start peeling the onion back, which people don't really do, right? But you start yeah. peeling the onion back on pornography, and you go, you know what? I every I think every guy has this desire to be wanted. Yeah. So even in a marriage, yeah. Right. Sometimes it's like what what you could you could even be having sex in mm-hmm. a marriage mm-hmm. with your wife, but you don't feel totally wanted, right? And so there's this woman that looks like she really really mm-hmm. would wants you mm-hmm. and, and you're you're seeing like maybe that's a thing and and again there's all sorts of heart motivations but i think you have to get to those right um to really deal with what is this like what is my real heart draw here mm-hmm. well and so how, what do you feel as far as i mean obviously you're a lead pastor senior pastor for a, a huge church here in phoenix and i uh, have a lot of influence around um in other churches around the country and i think even around the world yeah. in terms of input for CCV, but um, what do you feel like, um, how do you feel the church is doing uh, in getting down to, uh, leading the way and getting down to some of those core issues as opposed to just dealing with the the surface issue or not even dealing with the surface issue? Yeah. You know, I think, I mean, I'll just use our church as an example. I think, you know, teaching on it um, is, mm-hmm. is good, but the tension I feel is that we, we all know as, as teachers that you know, and even, you know, opening God's word that if it ends on the weekend that you heard something and that's, that's it. Um, it's not, it's not going to take, right. it's not going to take in your life to have the real impact. Yet. Mm-hmm. So it takes not only teaching on it, but then continuing to encourage people to have real community. Yes. Right. Real community yes. with real people. Mm-hmm. I mean, guys having other guys in a, in a, in a smaller setting of accountability where they can really talk about it and open up on real deep issues. Mm-hmm. Right. And women the same, same way. So I think that's where the church as churches grow, the, the issue is you, you have to grow smaller mm-hmm. at the same time that you're growing yes. bigger because it's in the smaller communities of real relationship that you can really open up. Mm-hmm. And, um, but we have to keep modeling that and encouraging it because guys do not naturally want to open up right. on a topic that they're deeply ashamed about. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think that there's, there really is much else in life that's more shameful than, um, than sexual sin struggles. Yeah. You know, I think that that's, that kind of sort of, um, hits the pinnacle of what people are ashamed of. And of course with shame, I mean, it drives us into isolation and into secrecy and, uh, and what we actually do need in shame to break the, to break the power of that. I think of Brene Brown, who's written so much on the topic, that, that embracing of vulnerability, Yes, you know, which is, the antithesis of, of shame, but it's the one pathway toward healing, you know, that we see. So I do love, um, CCV's, um, emphasis on, uh, on small groups, as Mm -hmm. you were just talking about. The other thing that I've noticed that we really appreciate Melissa and I and bringing in our family being here and, um, and listening uh, to you guys is in, in hearing messages. One of the things I love that I don't think happens enough 
is that in, in many churches is we might do a kind of a one-off sermon uh, uh, or a sermon series on sexuality, um, sex and relationships or whatever. And, and I think that's really good and really important. But I oftentimes hear you pepper um, throughout your message. You'll, you'll, you say the word pornography yeah. and you'll, and it's, it's not even a message about pornography, mm-hmm. but you're just hitting, I, I think. And so we have to have those direct messages um, I think in the church, but also because we're all sexual and relational beings, every man, every woman, every child, uh, you know, on the planet, um, to to only address that topic, you know, as a kind of once a year thing, um, isn't really sufficient. And so when when the conversation is kind of peppered, let's just say you know, we have new people coming into CCD all the time, and they might have missed that, but would they hear you use the word pornography? I mean, I, for many people, they don't hear that word, or they haven't ever heard that word yeah. in church. Yeah. So it, it does set the stage and yeah. helps in, in small ways, but powerful ways impact the overall environment, yeah. you know, that, yeah. that we're after. Yeah. Well, I think as a pastor, you know, you, you have to be in tune and in touch with what people are dealing with. Pornography is in many ways, the issue of our day and age. Yeah. You know, it is, it is a deep addiction. Um, it's rewiring brains and minds and hearts and, even even when we t- when we talk, you know, we're very much a church that wants to reach out to those that are that are not followers of Jesus. Right. And so, even when we think about that, all of us, all of us are dealing with these. You know, we we call them this, you know, old analogy, but these holes in our hearts, mm-hmm. right? We have these holes in our hearts that we're trying to fill with something. Yes. And so, when you look around culture, you go, "What are we filling our hearts with?" That's not. That's not Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like he's designed to be the one thing that fulfills you, sustains you. Yeah like gives you identity and purpose. Mm-hmm. And so when you fill your heart with pornography, because you think it's a, it's a short-term high, it's yes. a short-term fix. That's why I love peppering it in because so many people can relate. They know that they're doing something that makes them feel, let's be honest, feel a, a burst mm-hmm. of uh, energy or purpose in a moment, mm-hmm. but then they always end up feeling empty afterwards. Mm-hmm. So I love peppering that in, whether that's pornography or alcohol or, you know, um, going after consumerism. I mean, no matter what it is, that's right. You're filling your heart, food, food, you're filling your, you're filling your heart, your mind, your body with something that, you know, intuitively Mm -hmm. does not give you long-term purpose and satisfaction. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and I also, this leads me to another, another question, um, that, um, I, I feel like a lot of churches, um, a lot of Christians, uh, believe orthodoxy. Like they, 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 they don't question what the Bible says about human sexuality, about God's design for marriage. That that marriage is is really God's design for. Um, it's the container in which um, sex should happen. I mean, I, that's being questioned more and more, even within the church. But sure. I think many people do. Um, agree with those kind of historic um, premises and, and what's clearly in scripture. And then even around the um, issues of identity and um, even LGBT issues, um, I I think there are many Christians who believe what the Bible says, but, but, but I think we also feel kind of bashful, like it's not good news. I mean, I mean we're so sorry that, and, and, and that we aren't saying this necessarily, um, but, yeah. I, but I think there's kind of a, rather than recognizing actually God's design is amazing and God's God's call of each one of us out of our places of brokenness and out of our uh, addictive cycles and out of um, confusion on, on a variety of areas, like the pathway he has for us is really good news. And I don't feel like, um, and I love the church. I really do. I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not bashing the church at all, but I feel like somehow we've shifted away and, and 
what we call, what we say is good news in the gospel, I think we kind of internalize almost and communicate that it's almost unfortunate news. Does, yeah. does that make, when it comes yeah. to our sexuality? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think part of what's happened is I think even inside the church, we've lost um, some theology on sexuality yeah. and love specifically. Mm -hmm. um, and what I, what I mean by that, and I've, I've had this series that I've, I've lined out that I'm waiting for the right time to, to meld it in. But I really think we know what the Bible says about sexuality and about love, kind of. I'm going to say we kind of know right. what it says about love. But I think we have to go back and understand truly God's design for what love is. Mm -hmm. We've defined love in our culture primarily only, only as sex. Yes. That's the issue. Mm -hmm. So if, if love by its very nature, you define love as your attraction or sex, yep. then what the reason I think sometimes Christians fall into the mindset of like, we know what it says, but we feel a little bashful mm -hmm. is we kind of almost, I think some Christians would feel like, I know what it says, but I feel bad for those people yes. that can't experience right. love. We need to come back and redefine what love mm -hmm. is, right? Where in scripture, you know, we, we have four types of love, Yes, right? We have eros, which is the sexual love. We have family love. Mm -hmm. We have fr a friendship type of love. And we have agape love, yeah. which is the highest form mm -hmm. of love. So I think sometimes we think, well, shoot, if someone can't have sex because they're not married or or maybe outside of God's design, then we think they can't have love mm -hmm. wrong. Right. They, there's still three types of love you mm -hmm. can experience in your life. And one of them is the greatest of all loves. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. Which is the love that God gives you, his mm -hmm. agape love. So I really feel like in some ways that's what we need to recapture is a definition of what love is. Mm -hmm. So that, yes. again, even, even with Christians, when you're looking at your own life, whether you're a single Christian or a married Christian, and you're looking at that, even the sexual things, we, I think we even get confused sometimes mm -hmm. thinking, well, gosh, if, if my sex life's not good or things are good, then I, I, I have a non-loving relationship, right? I, I can't have, I don't have any love in my life. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. not, that's not true. Right. It's not true at all. So I think the definition of love is one thing that we have to keep coming back to, but it's a, it's a theological mm -hmm. issue. Um, and again, our culture's, our culture has fully defined love as sex. Yes, yes. Yeah, I think um, more and more one of the issues that we run into, and I think the church is facing without even recognizing it, is that um, the meaning of words has, has changed over time. That's right. And certainly love is one of those predominant words that if you get that wrong, you know, we're often talking about the idea that um, the love in its truest form is desiring the best for somebody, whether whatever that may be, whether you, in, in any of the four areas where you're practicing love, yeah. that bedrock desire is to desire the best for another. Yeah. And, and the way that we desire our best for number, another isn't like, my goodness, there's tons of things I've wanted desperately that, um, you know, and I felt like people should give me if they loved me and mm -hmm. they loved me too much to give them to me actually. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and in a sense, that's parenting 101, you know, but, right. but also as adults, I mean, we need people who are going to say, I just, you know, that I, I, I hear your heart and I, I know you're frustrated, maybe you're hurting, but, um, but I know this is a pathway that's going to just take you to utter destruction. And so I, I, I don't want you to go there, you know, and that really is loving to do that as opposed to just affirming, you know, whatever they, the marriage they might want to get out of or, um, whatever situation, yeah. you know that they want to find relief in. So, so Ashley, one of the things, um, we were talking about a moment ago, it just, it reminded me of, of, of do you, are you familiar with, um, 
uh, Julie Slattery, Dr. Julie Slattery. She um, used to work for Focus on the Family for many years. She's founded, co-founded a ministry called um, uh, Authentic Intimacy. Mm. And she's written several books. She's a, a, a licensed counselor. She's written several books. And her most recent one is um, called Rethinking Sexuality. Mm. And I, I was doing a um, teaching, co-teaching um, at a uh, conference where she was also a keynote. And um, I remember her saying, making the statement that, I think she's actually kind of coined the phrase, but this statement um, that if we do not engage in our culture, in our day and time, in sexual discipleship, we cannot possibly as the church fulfill um, the Great Commission. Mm. I thought, wow. I mean, that, so as I thought about that, in our culture, if we're not going to address that as a church, because sexual sexual discipleship is happening everywhere, Mm -hmm. we just don't recognize it as sexual discipleship. (laughs) And and the one place that has the real authority and, and, and good news about that isn't saying a whole lot. What do you, yeah. what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think it's a it's it's a really strong and and great quote. I mean, what what's going to happen, right? Is is every child is going to get educated and influenced mm-hmm. with a sexually in a, in a sexually saturated culture. It's going to happen. Yes, right. Whether it's through a movie they watch or a show or. You know, we look at Netflix now, or we look at all the music that's available everywhere, um, their friends, um, the internet. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's going to happen. So I think every parent has to ask the question, um, am I going to be the one that drives and owns the discipleship conversation mm-hmm. on sexuality, or am I going to leave it to chance and let my kids get it from culture? Right. So those are your two options. Yeah. Right. And so many parents don't have an intentional discipleship, not only a single conversation, but continuing conversations on this topic right. they don't have it because it's just uncomfortable mm-hmm. and they feel ill-equipped mm-hmm. and my encouragement to parents is you don't have to you don't have to feel Ill- ill-equipped it doesn't actually have to be as complex as most parents yeah. make it out to be the key to me is that you want to be the one to introduce the topic mm-hmm. to your kids not the school system not um, them taking it by chance so my advice to parents is always your kids are going to find out about sex. Mm-hmm. Why don't you be the one that drives the conversation? Yep. Right. And personal opinion, I think, you know, we, here's a church we used to, we, we do a class around fourth grade. I think that's approaching almost, I think it's approaching too late of mm-hmm. a time frame to have it. Yeah. Because it's happening sooner and sooner nowadays because of, again, we just have a sexually saturated culture. They mm-hmm. see it everywhere. Yeah. So I think, you know, you, you got to pick the right time as a parent. I think, gosh, if you wait till, you know, second, third grade, if you wait till any time after that, probably too late. Yeah. They're going to hear it from somebody else. Right. And I think it's a very simple um, start, start to the conversation. Mm-hmm. You don't have to get into the pleasure of sex or anything else. You just have yep. to get into what is sex mm-hmm. and how did God design it? And and, it, and it's so good. Like yes. God designed something really, really good. Yes. And you can explain it in very, um, let's call it uh, just basic nuts and bolts mm-hmm. terms. Um, and then ha- tell your kids, Hey, um, you can always ask, ask mom and dad any question and they'll always be honest with you. Yes. And that's such a powerful thing for a child to mm-hmm. know. I got this from my mom and dad. They told me about sex. Yep. They told me God's design for it. It doesn't have to be complex. Don't, don't overcomplicate it. Yes. And then just continue the conversation with your kids. Mm-hmm. And if you would do that, you would begin to do, I think what what Proverbs um, chapter 22, verse 6 says, says, start children off on the way they should go. And even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Yeah. 
So what is our job as parents? To start our kids off on the way they should go. And mm-hmm. that includes discipleship around sex. Mm-hmm. You have to be the one that starts yeah. your kids. Yep. Well, and so there's the historic, I think, um, sexual piece, human sexuality piece for sure. And, and um, uh, you know, what is God's design for sex and, and all that. But now, and in addition to that, uh, I think even at younger and younger grades now, uh, kids are really experiencing the idea that um, that identity is totally up for grabs. Like yes. there's there's nothing um, uh, there's nothing uh, good or solid or significant um, in a positive sense about binary gender. That God creating male and female. Um, that's well, first of all, you know, is there even a God? And and as opposed to just evolution. Uh, so that's obviously a part of it. But and if that's true, then I guess it doesn't really matter. But the reality that there is a God, that there is a creator, and he has a specific design to, uh, when we go back to Genesis 126 and 27, it seems really clear to us that um, the God not only made um, us as humans in his image, but he made us male and female in his image. Right. And he wants to live out different aspects of who he is, not to its fullness, obviously, obviously God is transcendent, but to live out um, of equal value, yeah. but different ways yeah. from male and female. So, uh, so certainly when you're talking about uh, younger and younger grades, having to have the conversation about um, uh, sex, and I totally agree, but I think then you have this other really complex, almost more foundational, actually. Um, And and it it really is, because if we get identity wrong, um, or if we just feel like we're just sort of completely wet cement in terms of uh, image bearers of God as male or female or something entirely different, I mean, that that just throws kids into a ton of chaos when they're already trying to figure out who in the world they are. It does. Yeah, I think think one of the most dangerous messages in our culture today is there is no difference between men and women. Yeah, yeah. And we know by God's design, by his very nature, that there's differences. Now, we don't, we celebrate those, those differences, yes. right? We can celebrate them and mm-hmm. not demean anyone right. in the process. But we need to, when you're having those early conversations, if you have a boy, you know, God made you this way. Yes. And it's, it's, and it's awesome mm-hmm. and it's good. And for girls, God made you this way. Mm-hmm. It's, it's amazing and it's good. And we celebrate each other. We don't try to, make you know one person you know loftier or like this great and mighty like end all be that's all right no that's i won't right. do that but we celebrate the differences and we go back to god's design mm-hmm. um, and when we can do that that just creates again someone that has a healthy worldview mm-hmm. of their identity and sexuality right long term. yep yeah and as i've seen um uh and, and walked with some people who really wrestled, not just with, um, so for example, I mean, you know that I come out of a same-sex attractive background yes. and lived as a gay man for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, and God has really, um, changed my perspective on that to where I very openly say, yeah, I still deal with some same-sex attraction. My wife, Melissa, she still deals with some same-sex attraction. Frankly, the hundreds of people we know personally by name and their families and all that, um, they still deal with yeah. uh, nearly all of them with some level of that. And our attitude about that really is, Big whoop. I mean, everybody, heterosexual or whatever, we all deal with all kinds of draws and pulls toward in our flesh that is contrary to the will of God. Um, And Gary, that's because your identity isn't based in your attraction. Exactly. That's why it can be not as as big of an issue. Or some people, it's like, no, my attraction is my identity. Yes, and that's where I was. That's where you were, right? So Mm -hmm. I think just hearing you say that, yeah, I mean, that's it makes sense. Your identity is held in something higher and bigger. 
and deeper and more satisfying yes. than just your, your attractions. Yeah. I mean, my attractions are a nuisance sometimes, you know, or sure. an irritation at sometimes. And um, aren't they for everybody? Well, exactly. I mean, I look at myself. I mean, I'm a married man, right? And I want all my energy yep. attraction going to my wife. And I live in a culture where I have to constantly yes. right, guard my eyes. Starts, I'm going to yep. keep going back. So it's no different for anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. What What do you think about, we talked about parenting in relationship to um, uh, sexual discipleship and teaching our kids in, at younger ages. And I love also uh, what you said about it not being like the conversation, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the traumatizing, yeah. you know, <laughs> Uh, a couch that we wind up on 20 years down the road with yeah. some uh, counselor that you yeah. know, we're trying to work through all that <laughs> trauma when you're in the backseat exactly. and dad's talking to us about sex he's driving down the road. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, not that kind of conversation. And and sadly, some people haven't even had the conversation. Yeah. Um, but but that idea of this, of this long, um, first of all, positive and uh, excited, glorious conversation about about um, our identity rooted in Christ, but also how that expresses itself in our in our bodies, our spirit, soul, and body, um, and 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 how those are intricately woven. And I think that's so great. Um, do you do you have um, particular thoughts about um, helping parents navigate the that deeper question? I think of of gender identity and or or it would just yes, gender identity, but also identity in helping kids. Um, I mean, unfortunately, I feel like we have to kind of put all the armor on our kids as they go out the door, um, whether it's to public school or just into the public square in a sense, uh, daycare or whatever, Mm -hmm. because kids are going to be exposed to people who have very different perspectives on identity. And if they don't receive something from parents, they're going to be really vulnerable to just kind of buying into that or just sort of accepting that. What what are your thoughts on identity specifically? I, again, I think I think don't think of the sexual discipleship conversation. Don't think of it as a one-time yeah. conversation. You know, so many parents get so amped and nervous, and okay, we're going to talk to them about sex, and they try to fit everything in yes. in one setting and and try to say it all. And then again, your kids are taking their cues from you, so you're super amped up, right. and nervous. Where this, so my my advice: make it as natural as possible. Yeah. Make it as natural as possible, and don't make it a one-time conversation. In fact, my experience with all three of my kids is I've had better conversations after the fact, mm-hmm. and we open it up than we did in the initial conversation. Yes. But when it comes to identity, you know, I remember with one of my daughters, we sat down and. With all of them, I've, I, I've, I've kind of opened the conversation this way. Like, hey, you, you probably heard the word sex before, and they all nod, they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say, do you know what it means? All three of our kids, when we talked to them about sex, said yes. Mm-hmm. And deep down, my, my, my wife and I are thinking, oh, no, they already know. They didn't know at all. Right. They had an assumption about what it was. Yeah. One of our daughters, we said, do you know what sex is? She said, yes. Uh, I looked it up in the dictionary. And I thought, oh, okay, what'd you read? She said, well, it's male and female, mm-hmm. right? So it actually opened up this conversation of going to the basis for when you're right. God designed us yes. male and female yeah, and understanding that part of it. But then going back and saying, listen, um, one day, you know, as you have these sexual discipleship conversations, God created you a male. We have daughters. God created you a female. It's a beautiful thing. God mm-hmm. created you this way. But remember, your identity, your identity comes from God, mm-hmm. right? Yes. God created you. He loves you, right? And having those conversations in the midst of, I think, the sexual discipleship yes. conversation helps our kids really root their identities mm-hmm. in in you know, who they are. And I think some of the deeper 
conversations around identity will happen. If you have a conversation with a child, let's say second or third grade, you have some of the deeper, you know, um, conversations that'll happen a little bit later on. And it's going to happen because they're going to come home and say, Hey mom and dad, I, I, I saw this. If you've opened up the conversation, yeah. I saw this, I experienced this. I have a friend in class who said this. Um, so then it gives, it opens the door for you to continue to have the conversation, which you have to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I'm also reminded of a conversation you and I had, gosh, a couple of years ago. Um, and, and one of the things that I so appreciate about you as a, as a, as a Christian man and as a pastor is, is a willingness to, um, a willingness and a desire to, to hear where people are really coming from, you yeah. know, to explore what is culture saying and, or, or what are some of the, what are some of the perspectives within the church that aren't even Orthodox perspectives? You know, what, um, is there something that, that we as Christians can kind of learn from that, um, at not, not, um, not get sucked into something that's false, but is there something we can learn from that? And, and is there a way, and I think this is, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is kind of part of what I recall from our conversation, but also just a desire to, um, to know how to connect with hurting people, yes. um, as opposed to simply, you know, standing on scripture and pronouncing what's true, but knowing how to kind of navigate that. I mean, I think of Paul when, you know, he's walking through uh, the city and, and he sees all of these idols everywhere yeah. and, and he comes to the one um, uh, where it's to the unknown God and he, he takes that opportunity. I mean, what an amazing thing, you yeah. know, to take something that is, you know, something in idolatry, something that um, is, had nothing to do with God whatsoever and yet he turns it on its head and presents the gospel, you know, and, and I think that's one of the things, that is one of the things that I've appreciated about um, the, the couple conversations we've had and as I've heard you preach, I think that is an important thing for, for pastors and churches to do, to stay relevant yeah. um, to a culture that's hurting and so sexually confused. Yeah. Well, I think it goes, to me, it goes back to the conversation we had on love. You know, that, um, mm-hmm. you know, we, we can stand and, and I love the, the name of even your network, the truth and grace. Like mm-hmm. we can, we can stand on the truth, but we have to lead. We have to lead with grace yep. with people. Yep. And especially when it comes to love, they are entering, especially in the sexual, the sexual brokenness, the sexual saturation we see in society. They're entering with all these assumptions about the only way they can experience yes. love. And again, if the church doesn't love them, truly, truly love yes. them and show them love and show them grace, they're going to feel ultimately rejected. Mm-hmm. You know, they will. Yeah. On, on one, one type of love. Yeah. Right. Potentially. Mm-hmm. Like you're telling me, um, it's that scripture is really, really clear that you shouldn't like live together before marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And here's, here's, man, it's again, loving someone one the best for them yes right we know from all the statistics if you live together before you married you have like an 80 percent bigger chance of getting a divorce yes why would i want that for you mm-hmm. i don't want that for you right that's like i use an analogy sometimes that's like telling someone to board an airplane that has a 80 percent chance of crashing right like gary if you told me you're going to get an airplane with 80 percent percent chance of crashing mm-hmm. The loving thing for me to do would be to be like, Gary, right. don't get on that exactly. plane. Exactly. Right. But I'm not just going to tell you not to get on the plane. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Gary, oh, you need to, this is the, this is the destination you need to go. Here's where you need to go. Let us help you. Let us come alongside right. you. Let us love you in the midst mm-hmm. of that. Right. So the church has to get away from 
everything it's 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 against yes we're, we're, we're known for everything we're right. against and be like no we're for you mm-hmm. that's why we're having this conversation right we are for you we want the best for you yeah and the way to have the best in your life is to follow god's design mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. our and that's our basic message yeah. right is that we want what's best for you mm-hmm. we're not out here like slapping hands all over the place right we're here going like come here let me yeah. like give you a hug yeah and help you yeah well, and that makes me think also of um, Rosaria Butterfield's uh, most recent book. I mean, she's written a few. And of course, anybody listening to this who doesn't know who Rosaria Butterfield is, I would highly recommend. I mean, her testimony is, is just off the hook. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing how God brought her out of um, just the LGBT community, really. Uh, she's now a pastor's wife and um, really appreciate the wisdom with which she shares with. Uh, but her most recent book is called um, The Gospel Comes to the House Key. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's all about the phrase I think she uses repeatedly in the book is um, radical, ordinary hospitality. And that's and, a good line. Yeah. Is I was, I remember having grown up in the church, you know, you read, you, you see the different spiritual gifts. And I remember as a kid thinking, you know, oh, I want to be uh, a prophet or a pastor or this or that, you know, the sort of the, the big ones. And, yeah. um, uh, but in hospitality, it was always like, ugh. You know, that's, that's such a, it's lower on the scale. Exactly. People think it is. Exactly. But it is, as I've, um, just with what we're talking about, I mean, the power of, of love and of walking with, and, and that phrase of radical ordinary and and the gospel comes with a house key, like it, it's messy. And I get into the mess with people and I can't get into the mess with everybody, but I can get into the mess, the real mess with a number of people. Mm -hmm. And, and we do life together. We're not just, I'm not just going to meet you you know, on Sunday morning at church and sit with you, which that's nice, but, but also I want to do life with you. And, and that's, that's harder. That's more difficult. But I think that that really is where true hospitality comes in and starts to fill in all of those, um, all those gaps for why we are craving all these other things, because we start to actually experience love. Love. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you get to see this because you're part of our church, but one of the designs of our church, and we're sitting in an area yeah. right now, one of the designs is our, of our church is that you wouldn't just come sit through an right. hour conversation, but you'd stay and do life with mm-hmm. people because it's doing life with people and having community and this idea of hospitality and love. Yeah. That's where life change starts to happen. Right. So we even design our campuses that way. We wouldn't design a campus unless we feel like it can have space to have community after the service, even here, because yeah. we want it in every area of your life. You come on the weekend, we want it to be community, hospitality, mm-hmm. you feel loved. When you go into the week, we want you to be in a group, yeah. have accountability. These are the things we want for people. And I think um, that quote you had is is a is a really good one. It'll, it'll, that'll stick with me. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Well, and the last thing I just wanted to, to um, kind of loop back with you about as we kind of wrap up is, um, uh, I know that a lot of churches have have gone to a small group model or a cell group model or whatever, um, and and uh, and and desiring just what you described in terms of also creating environments where um, people can connect um, more. On I don't think a lot of churches may not be thinking about that, but I know some are, and some that I've been involved with in the past are thinking that as well. Um, and I love love that perspective. But I'm also, um, I also know from from my um, many years in addiction and. Um, I also know that for me, for many, many years, I, having grown up in the church and all that, that, uh, this lie that, that drove me into secrecy. Like I was, I was with people, um, and I, and, and for me, 
I always wanted to connect with people, but I, when I was very young and, and even a little bit older in my teens and in my early twenties, I felt extremely socially inept and had a difficulty even having conversations with people, but it wasn't because I didn't want to, I just didn't know how to. Mm. And, um, and so and I hadn't really experienced a lot in relationship up to that point, except some, some broken experiences. Um, but one of the phrases I feel like the enemy just held over my head for years. Uh, I was in my early thirties, I guess, when I finally began to really pursue Jesus, um, out of, uh, a gay identity and out of the LGBT community. And I, I found a church that, that was willing, not just willing, but really wanted to walk with me knowing my story. Um, but there was something in that process that was broken, um, in a good way. Uh, what I realized in hindsight, uh, when I was about to give my testimony in conjunction with the pastor's message was, um, all of these years I've been laboring under, I've been in Christian community. I've been in the church. Um, and, and, uh, uh, but I, I always felt that if they only knew me, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. Yeah. And so yeah. I, Isn't that one of the great lie. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I feel like there's so many Christians living under that, that yeah. even when they do get together, even when they are in a small group. And so one of our, one of my passions and one of our um, real reasons for existing as a, as a ministry is that um, we want to break through the barrier of, and, and there's, there's, you know, gender appropriate conversations, that kind of thing for sure. But we want to break through the barrier where, where nobody is feeling like they're unknown or they mm. can't be known mm. even in their most despicable places or experiences that there's at least there's a band of brothers that knows and there, or there's a band of sisters who knows yeah. and I know them and we're doing life together. I mean, what are your, I, I just feel like that's something that's such an important and, and powerful um, need in the church that hasn't really been terribly present. Sure. Yeah. I, I think the, the word that comes to mind is we all want healing, yeah. right? We want healing from something in our past, something that's happened, something that we know inside of us is we're working on. So we want healing and we think, we think intuitively maybe the way to get healing because of our shame and because of a lack of vulnerability is we're going to get healing just by talking to God the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Like God, just heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me. And then in, in my community relationships, the people I'm around and else. Well, I, I can't open up there because I'd be rejected. Right, right. And really it's the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. You know, we go to God for this idea of forgiveness and God brings obviously his Holy Spirit yeah. healing. But the book of James tells us, where do we go for healing? Yeah. Right? We, we confession, mm -hmm. confess your sins one to another mm -hmm. for healing. Yep. And I think if you want true healing, it has to come in the context of taking the great risks, right? As Brene Brown mm -hmm. talks about so much, like this great risk of being vulnerable and letting people know truly who you are. What are some struggles? And again, that doesn't have to be hundreds of people. Yes, yes. Right. right. I mean, you're, exactly. you're not going to be like, it's, it's a little awkward if you're the person that every person you meet in the grocery store, you're like, let me, let me, <laughs> yeah. be, all, let me be completely vulnerable. Right. That's, that's a little off, but you have a critical few people around you and you have to have those critical few where you are vulnerable with them. They know who you are. Mm -hmm. You're able to confess not only past, but ongoing things that's that you're right. struggling with. Yep. And that's where you can truly become whole. Mm -hmm. You know, this whole person, because integrity is obviously living an integrated yes. life. And part of that integrated life is having people that you really can be real with and yep. truthful with. Yep. So it's very, it is the crux in, in living this whole healed lifestyle mm -hmm. 
of having people that you feel like you can be vulnerable and real with. Yeah. How do you feel? We're just going to wrap up in a sec. So how do you feel um, uh, a church can begin to shift um, not leaving out small group environments, um, but incorporating more of what you're talking about in addition to yeah. how, what, what are some of the mechanisms or a mechanism that you feel like is really helpful in achieving that deeper connection with a band of brothers, band of sisters, that sure. kind of thing. I think it starts, you know, it starts with small groups and mm-hmm. small groups are usually, you know, let's call it, you know, 15 to 20 people, which yeah. is a little bit of a hard environment for some of those tougher conversations. Yeah. So we have to keep encouraging men and women to maybe out of a small group environment, you get to know a few people, you get to trust them, yep. and you can you can develop some of those, let's call it three to four people mm-hmm. relationships mm-hmm. that you can truly go yep. deeper. So I think that's the encouragement yep. um, that we have to keep giving to people is, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's layers in community, right? There's layers in community. Yes. But that deepest layer is the people that they know you inside out, mm-hmm. right? They know you fully completely yeah and you've you've allowed that and by the way greatest lie is like if i open up about myself no one's gonna accept me it's actually the exact opposite it is. right it's the exact opposite is that if you would open up someone's gonna go oh my gosh you you too yeah you, you struggle with things like that me, me too because yeah. we all have struggles and that's why i feel like it's my job even from the stage to preach in a way that i don't make myself out to be this perfect holier art right. thou guy because i'm I'm a, a follower of Jesus that is um, trying to be vulnerable even mm-hmm. from the stage of going, this isn't my successes. Let me tell you, let me tell you about some of my failures yes. too, because yes. I have them as much yep. as anybody, yep. right? That's just wrestling. So yep. it's a, I think it's a key thing for the church to keep encouraging. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ashley, for sharing with us and we uh, so appreciate you and CCV and just the great work that you're doing. Gary, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us for this Love and Truth Network podcast. To listen to or watch future episodes, please check us out at loveandtruthnetwork.com forward slash podcast. Also, you can subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And we look forward to seeing you in a future episode.